0: Hello, I'm Alice Murray, editor of The Drawdown, and today we're asking if reporting still needs to be standardised. Over the past decade, attempts to standardise private equity reporting have come on in leaps and bounds, most notably with the ILPA template as well as Invest Europe's guidelines having gained much ground. However, we are by no means there yet. GPs and LPs continue to be misaligned when it comes to information sharing. But is standardisation the cure? Or has technology advanced to a point where information can be produced in any format and digested however needed? To explore this interesting question, Mike Dickey of MUFG Investor Services and myself will be quizzing an LP who comes in the shape of Hamish Mayor of BMO Global Asset Management. So Hamish, I'll kick us off with the first question. Given your position as a fund of funds manager, you get to see both sides of the coin here, receiving data from GPs, as well as distributing that to your LPs. So what's your take on how we've gotten to where we are in terms of reporting?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I mean obviously the, the, the data problem um, you know, goes back a long, long way. I mean, private equity as an asset class, uh, you know, developed in the sort of 70s and 80s in the US and, and the UK. And, um, you know, that was in a an age where, um, you know, personal computers and, and, and that sort of thing were just not available. And, um, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, the, the, the clue is in the name, you know, private equity. Um, you know, dissemination of information uh, widely is, is not normal in private equity, you know, keeping information proprietary into oneself and limiting it to those, you know, who are in the know, if you like, is, is um, you know, what private equity is all, all about. And, um, but the asset cost is now quite large as, you know, billions or trillions of of uh, dollars of assets under management. And, you um, You know, it's in so many portfolios um, that, um, you know, it's become essential that people can actually get that data in uh, reasonably consistent formats. And, uh, you know, from when I first started in private equity back in the early 90s, I mean, it was all very, um, you know, very manual. I mean, you you know, you basically got sent a report, you know, hard copy, which you would then have to copy out. Um, I mean, you didn't even have Excel spreadsheets then. Um, And, um, you know, it was very much a sort of hand cranking exercise. I mean, it wasn't so much, uh, it wasn't so long before that, that, uh, you know, um, in our industry in the investment of trust industry, we still had people operating with big sort of ledgers and kind of, you know, copper plate handwriting and and that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, literally, I I do remember that, the tail end of that, before we went to computerised systems. you know, and I'm only 54, so it's not it's not that long ago, um, and uh, things have, have sort of moved on hugely, and particularly in the last few years, you've got a number of um, you know platforms and investor platforms that, that can be used, and you know there are computer systems that are bespoke for private equity, and those have even um, radically improved in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that isn't the you know that's not the total solution. That's 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 a partial solution. And I think, you know, as a general observation, you are, um, you're always going to have some firms that are very good at this and good at getting the information out in a kind of highly usable investor friendly format. And they are also willing to disseminate information and um, uh, freely amongst their investors. And then you'll have others, you know, who are not so good at it and they were the sort of laggards and have to drag sort of kicking and screaming to use these systems. And um you know, sadly I think you're always going to have early adopters and byguards and I think the aim really should be for us to um, you know try and get the bar raised so that the the minimum standard is is um, you know a lot better mm. than the sort of worst that we see at the moment
0: mm.
1: so I mean these are these are a couple of bits of background um, you know the the need for sort of hand cranking of data um, was probably not going to ever go completely but you can certainly reduce it and um, by doing that it, you essentially free up the time and effort of highly qualified professionals to actually analyze the data rather than create the data and then from analyzing that data they can uh, draw conclusions which can then feed into their investment process which can improve decision making in other words make the market more efficient mm-hmm. and it's never going to be completely efficient And in fact, private equity investors don't want things to become completely efficient because the inefficiencies and the asymmetry of information flows is what gives diligent, hardworking private equity investors an advantage over others. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can find out something that somebody else doesn't know or hasn't worked out gives you an advantage in a way which is impossible in the public markets where, by definition, everybody has access to the, the same information.
0: So Hamish, what would you say is your biggest challenge at the moment when it comes to data?
1: The things that we find most difficult are, um, you know, collating fundamental data on underlying companies and private equity. So if I have a portfolio of um, forty companies, it's something like, um, you know, what is the average size of these companies? You know, what's the average enterprise value of each of these companies? You know, that that is not that easy to find out, you know, unless various fields have been entered into the system. And then, you know, what is the profits growth in the, any given period of time for these companies? You can't get that unless it's the, you know, this the same measure of, of profitability has been inputted into, you know, 40 different, uh, inputted 40 times into the same field, um, 80 times, in fact, because you need the start point and the end point. And so, you know, that, that is, you know, that's 80 different bits of data entry, which, um, you know, quite possibly are, have to be derived from somebody sitting there and reading a PDF and then copying um, down the number or cutting and pasting a number. And the problem, I mean, apart from the sort of labor intensivity of it, um, the scope for error is quite high. So any, any um, system, even if you had the most sort of brilliant system that was a kind of nothing, know there was no human intervention between you know somebody producing the data at the gp and it going all the way through into you know our system and and then putting it in our format it would still require checking and oversight because the consequences of an innocent mistake are quite serious you know you could somebody could miss out a decimal point or um you know digit is not copied over and an investment that's supposed to be worth 20 million is now worth 2 million and, um, you know, the investment manager would, would even query that, but the, you know, the IT guy or the accountant or whatever might not. Mm-hmm. You might think, oh, well, that's, that's obviously a bad quarter for that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In actual fact, it's a, it's a manifest
2: error. Are there any value add data processing activities that, you know, if, if automation replaced it, you think, you know, you guys, your firm would lose value? You know, you talk about, i guess you've talked about you know the the inputting of the data from a financial statement if that could all you know be far more automated are there you know that process probably is, is actually one you'd like to see go away but but are there any manual processes that you do today that actually you think create value uh, you know in in beyond the review of data it's yeah, a good question
1: you know we've kind of hinted at this i mean some some um manual entry of data if you like or you know that data is being reviewed as it goes in and the the person that's doing it if, there's, if they're sufficiently well trained will be reviewing this but um there's probably a kind of diminishing curve there where you know if you have to put in 10 bits you know, if you have to review 10 critical pieces of information and compare and contrast you you, you know that's probably something that a human can do quite well, and a, a skilled human would be able to draw uh, conclusions quite quickly from that. You know, if he's having to do 150, um, his kind of um, processing power and his reflective ability, etc., is probably going to be, you know, much, much less than doing a small number. So, you know, you could say if you if, you're, if you've actually only got a few data points to look at, you're probably better the human doing it than the computer. I mean, it's the same as everything. It's like DNA sequencing. You know, originally when that was being done, they'd be looking at very limited bits of uh, DNA and, and probably, um, probably, uh, you know, scientists could do it to some extent manually, but and to do the whole human genome is completely impossible for a, any human to do. I mean, would, it's, just, it's just physically not possible. So, um, I mean... That's a good analogy, but...
2: <laughs> Well, I mean, it's representative, I guess. I mean, you know, for us, we are trying to automate every single process that we can to remove that that manual aspect of it. Because um, I guess to your point, you know, learning it is important. But you know, if you're repeating it over and over again, you're probably not learning anything further on that. So, no, it's, good, it's that was interesting good. to hear that thought. Yeah, and there's
1: a safety thing, I suppose. You know, some, you know, if your computer system fails, then do you have any kind of um, fallback? Um, you know, can 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 some of these things actually be done manually I mean our answer probably is you've got a pretty serious problem that probably can't be done manually very easily but I mean we used to do these things manually so I think we probably could in extremis but um, maybe not everybody could now if they're totally reliant on their you know computer to, to uh, do it all for them I mean things have improved hugely I mean we um, just the the advent of um, specific private equity uh, platforms, um, the way information is transmitted to us. Okay, you know we're still getting, we still do get PDFs. I mean, there's um, that's kind of normal, um, and there still requires to be a kind of manual intervention to put that into our, in our in our system. We use eFront, um, and um, you know, I think I think companies like that are trying to create a sort of, um, uh, you know, ecosystem where um, things go from the, you know, the companies to the GP to the LP, you know, as seamlessly as possible and as as quickly, so quickly. Um, you know, through the clouds helping a lot there, and then to end cloud system can enable that. Um, but you, you know, we're still quite a long way away from a fully standardized
2: system. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it. <clears throat> I think for us, data, at least as I see it in the industry, is still a huge problem. Like you say, I mean, we, to your point, you can't. We're struggling to move away from sending Excel files and PDFs around around to each other, um, and and I think part of that is. Because we can't agree a taxonomy on data, and, and to your earlier point, maybe we don't want to. Um, um, I think you touched on the data transmission piece, which I, I, I think is it, it's extremely challenging for 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 LPs, GPs, and administrators. I mean, I, I think for us, it's driven it, it, it it's driven what doesn't need to be a, a manual process to have automation, but with manual interventions in between, which just at times can lead to more bodies and, and certainly less scale. Um, and, and, and I guess, it, I mean, it must be raising costs for you. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, I mean the,
1: if the uh, data systems were better, I mean, that would be, you know, we would take out cost. And, um, you know, I think the appetite for people to sort of invest in systems that can remove um, the sort of manual labor aspect, um, or the sort of human aspect, uh, you know, the huge demand for that. I mean, we spend a huge amount of our time um, reporting to our, you know, and preparing reports, which involves us receiving reports, um, you know, condensing them down, uh, summarizing them, and then reporting to our own investors. And we're just in the middle of that, actually, you know, sort of year-end mm-hmm. reporting. I mean, it's, it's it's, um, you know, it's several man weeks, and, um, Um, just to get the reports out and you know and these are expensive people you know they're not they're not sort of um, clerks you know these are these are um, um, you know proper investment professionals and um, I mean they're always complaining that they'd much rather be doing I mean they'd they'd much rather just be spending all the time doing deals rather than actually doing any reporting and part of me agrees with them but part of me says well actually but there is a discipline you actually do have to be able to report back to your investors and you need to reflect on the success of otherwise of what we've done for them. And there is an unavoidable element of, um, you know, reflection and analysis of that. Um, But That's quite different from the, you know, physical hand cranking, if you like, or semi hand cranking that is required to put things together.
2: Um, I guess, you know, with those problems, I guess for, for us, we're seeing a lot of our the, the GPS that we work with, as well as BLPs. Um, there's a, there's a lot more. There's a there's been an increase in side letters, and even though mm-hmm. transparency and reporting's improved, um, it doesn't seem like that growth is abating. Um, and you know, that's just kind of creating more work on top of more work for for us, for our clients, for for everyone. I mean, what what's your what's your experience then?
1: Yeah, I mean sometimes we will we will ask for side letters, and it's normally where um, you know it's normally where the GP is probably sort of a bit behind the curve in terms of um, their their own reporting, and it's you know it's well below the, what we would regard as a minimum standard. Uh, I mean, I think we, you know, we've got one of these um, you know, Italian funds where you know, they're actually very good investors, but they're not very good at reporting. And and so we've had to put a side letter in place to say something basic, like, you know, you do actually have to do a proper valuation every three months, not some um, lower of cost and net realisable value um, report every six months, which is what they were proposing to do. I mean, that's that's uh, not very useful to us. So um, but I'd say that's the exception. I mean, there are sometimes it's necessary to put a side letter in to you know, focus on reporting, particularly in the States, actually. We find that the kind of variability there in terms of the standards, somewhat ironically, because it's a big market, it's been going for a long time and it's got lots of sensible participants, but uh, you know, sometimes we have to get them to, you know, have to spell it out to them. I mean, frequently we'll put this stuff into the LPA, which means mm-hmm. everybody benefits from it rather than a sort of dozen different side letters. Um, and I think from a GP's point of view, that's probably much preferable um, that uh, they're, they're producing one report that um, meets the needs of all their investors rather than one report. And then lots of little sort of sub reports for the sort of individual foibles of each of their investors. I mean, that—I mean, that's, that's an administrative nightmare as I think you're probably
2: alluding to Mike. Yeah, I mean, uh, even for our clients who have what I would deem pretty good reporting, they're still getting those requests. So it's, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting to see what's driving that. I mean,
0: yeah.
2: um, we've, we've seen well, a side
1: industry. Letter industry. I mean, some sometimes, you know, you will get depending on who you use as your lawyer that's reviewing the documentation, some of them have a tendency to, um, you know, draft a side letter. Uh, as a first resort, um, rather than, you know, in my view, read the LPA properly and then possibly suggest an amendment to the LPA. I mean, I'm, I'm being slightly facetious, but actually, you do see that. I mean, I don't know if you ever reviewed the list of side letters that a large fund would have, because normally what they'll do is they, if we invest in a fund, they then um, they will they will say here is the list of side letters would you like the benefit of any of these side letters? Um, And I'm not joking, you can have sort of like a hundred different side letters. um, And some of them are related to the most sort of, you know, obscure uh, aspects or, um, you know, stuff that is completely and utterly irrelevant to you. Um, And also a, a significant proportion of them are asking for things that are already incorporated within the LPA, which leads one to the obvious conclusion: did did the people that reviewed this for you they actually read the LPA? <laughs> and uh, and we see that all the time. And it's quite normal for us to read through these lists of side letters and say, you know, out of a hundred side letters, you might say there's only two of them that we'd actually like the benefit of. Um, and um, you know, so there's a bit of a side letter industry.
2: And it's obviously making your life difficult as well. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, I mean, we've seen a lot of changes, I guess, in, in technology in the last couple of years, and you referenced it earlier. I mean, we, you know, we've kind of pivoted our focuses to trying to automate a lot of those processes around, you know, scraping PDFs and machine learning. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, do you, have you seen big take up in that uh, in your business? Yeah, no.
1: I was just talking to our guys earlier about this and saying, you know, when the PDFs come in, you know, and you're extracting the numbers from them and it's going into the eFront system. I mean, that's still a manual process. That doesn't happen. Uh, we don't. We we don't seem to be able to do it um, without a human in, intervening there. Um, obviously, they kind of they they, can, they sort of copy and paste the numbers in or whatever they do it doesn't happen um, automatically. Uh, so sense that your sort of scraping process might be might be better uh provided it's you know provided it's it's kind of accurate you know it's not that you're not missing something
2: um yeah i mean we we've we've um we've invested a lot of time I and mean, this is given the the size of our client base that you know are you know lps and fund funds it's been a you know a huge squeeze on us as far as you know we're we're not a firm that's looking to offshore so we've really invested in scaling through tech and Mm -hmm. i guess for us we've kind of we started really trying to solve that problem like three or four years ago um Mm -hmm. and and kind of took really a platform view and, and trying to you know all right track that piece of information from the time it enters our process to the time that payment settles and, or from that time that valuation comes into the time we, we post it um, mm-hmm. so that we've got, you know, basically almost a conveyor belt of how that information is, is mm-hmm. coming into our, our universe. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, one of the key components for that, which gave us huge efficiency was um, being able to extract that data off, off the PDFs and, and map it to our GL system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on top of that, you know, we're, I guess, you know, we, we were looking things that unfunded commitments, wire instructions, all of those things that are then going through, you know, 25 validations before it's pushed downstream. So, I mean, for mm-hmm. us, we've been, you know, we've been trying to solve that problem because I guess as an industry, we haven't really dealt with it. Um, and it's, you know, I guess for us, it's created a competitive advantage, but <laughs> I don't know how much that's helped the broader that, you know, the broader industry and and tackling the problem, so to speak.
1: I mean, there have been been some developments which, you know, intuitively, we think would be a good thing, but actually do make the process slightly more manual. So, for example, you know, the use of data rooms for, um, uh, you know, reporting and also for, you know, drawdowns and distributions, you know, that does make life quite a bit easier for GPs because they can get the information out in a very sort of timely fashion and, you know, they, they don't have to do as much in terms of you know, sending out you know, dozens of emails with attachments, which probably involves scope for error. But um, as a consumer, um, it does introduce an extra process for us because we then have to go into the data room, plug in the password, open the stuff up, you know, rather than having received it directly. So, you know, you think it's a, a step forward, but in some ways it does actually introduce an extra step into the process.
0: Indeed, and this seems to be the catch-22 situation we find ourselves in right across the reporting spectrum, whether it's new technology, guidelines, templates, while new solutions might be increasing efficiencies in one area, they appear to be causing more work or intricacies in another. So on that slightly pessimistic note, this is where we're going to leave the conversation for today. Thank you both so much for your time and fascinating insights and join us for episode two, where we will be digging even deeper into the standardization versus tech debate.